In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So did you feel a little bit like Bill Murray in the movie Groundhog Day, listening to Canon Holder read our gospel just a moment ago? If you've been coming to church every week over the last five weeks, which of course you all have been, then you know that this is the fifth week in a row that we have heard from the very same chapter of John, chapter 6. And the fifth week in a row that we have heard some of this bread of life discourse. A discourse in which Jesus' words seem to go around and around and around in circles and never quite land anywhere. If you're confused today, even after these five weeks, you're in good company. So is your preacher. And we're in good company with those who first heard this discourse, those to whom Jesus first spoke these words. Like the crowd of 5,000 whom he fed with miraculous food at the very beginning of this chapter. They follow him after that feeding, hoping for more of that wonder bread and his wonderful power. And yet when they catch up with him, he tells them to work for the bread that doesn't perish. Okay, they want to know exactly what to do for that bread then, and he tells them, believe. Okay, they ask for a sign, proof, so that they may believe And he tells them, my father gives the true bread from heaven, whatever that means. And so finally, in exasperation, they demand, just give us this bread already. And that's when Jesus lays this big whammy on them. They have it already. I am the bread of life, he says. Come from heaven like manna like the manna that came to your ancestors. Come from heaven to do my Father's will. And my Father's will is that I lose nothing, nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. At this point, some of the Jews who are there in the crowd, learned and faithful folk, some of them start to grumble. They grumble just like the Israelites in the wilderness. They grumble because they're not just confused, they're miffed. Who does this guy think he is? God? Jesus responds with more of these circles, though he adds this time that, well, some will get it and some won't. Even though he reiterates again, This bread is for the world, the whole world. It's available not just to those who have the right lineage or the right ideology, but to all who believe. And I will give this bread, he says, for the life of the world. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. That 
seems preposterous, they think. And in trying to understand him and trying to simplify what he's saying, they take him literally, which leads them to object again. At this point, Jesus must be exasperated too. And so he says, he offers what sounds like an invitation. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, he says, and I in them. He doesn't give up on them. He hangs in there. He digs in deeper. But still, this response is not exactly clarifying either. And so now, Jesus' disciples start to grumble too. This teaching is difficult, they say. Who can accept it? Or who can hear or obey it? And some of them, some of his disciples, not the crowds, not the Jews, but some of his disciples turn back and leave because of this difficult teaching. And no wonder. It is difficult. That's where I land today, too, even after five weeks of hearing from this passage, from this chapter. I've spent the last week, again, trying to wrangle this gospel into a nice, neat, digestible, inspirational nugget for you to chew on over the next week or so. But it just won't cooperate. It refuses to be reduced to a simplistic, singular meaning, and it laughs. It laughs at my attempt to master it with my head alone. That's my first confession as your preacher today. And my second is this. When I hear today's gospel or any part of this discourse, something in me cries out, alert, alert. There are red flags waving at me all over the place. Though, of course, those red flags have much more to do with how this has been interpreted than what the gospel actually says. It's been been interpreted, for example, in ways that are dualistic, either or, pitting the material against the spiritual, the body against the spirit, in a way that degrades this world and this flesh. As if, as if the Gospel of John did not begin with the word becoming flesh and dwelling here among us. It's been interpreted in ways that are exclusionary and divisive, pitting, exalting outsiders over, insiders over outsiders, Christians who get it over Jews and others who don't, and therefore, the reasoning goes, are excluded from eternal life, which is to miss completely the fact that the disciples also often don't get it. They also struggle to believe. Disciples also turn away. 
And that is to miss completely the fact that Jesus offers this bread. Jesus comes into the world for the whole world. And it's been interpreted in ways that are very absolute, as if Jesus were giving us here a crystal clear map to this very exclusive destination or this very exclusive club, along with a very clear guest list. Who will get in and who won't? And the ticket, the golden ticket, is belief. Belief, however, very narrowly understood as unwavering intellectual head assent to certain propositions about God, Jesus, humanity. And with with such approaches to scripture, to difficult teachings like this, those teachings can all too easily become a closed door. A door that closes out whoever or whatever is other, unknown, uncomfortable. A door that closes out parts of ourselves, the parts that still don't understand but don't want to admit it, the parts that are offended, the parts that stand in this confusing gap between the hard realities we face and the glorious promises of God. It can become a door that closes to Jesus himself, that closes out the living word. And all of that, all of that is really ironic when you think about it. Because at every turn, at every turn, Jesus resists this narrowing, this closing down of his meaning. In the Gospel of John and in the dialogue we've been hearing, whenever anyone tries to shut down the conversation with a premature conclusion, he opens it up again with this open-ended, evocative, paradoxical language and images, which is the only kind of language suited to mystery. To be sure, the Gospel of John, Jesus in John, uses a lot of contrasts, and they can seem judgmental and divisive if that's what you're looking for. There are those who love darkness and those who love light, those who receive Jesus and those who reject him. There is flesh and there is spirit, death and life, bread that perishes and bread that endures. And all of these contrasts alert us, importantly, that there is a decision to be made. There is. There is something important at stake here. There is. And yet, and yet Jesus plays around. He moves around in these contrasts so that every time you think you've figured out who's who, every time you think you've got people placed in the right categories, he goes and shakes it all up again so that the insider becomes the outsider, the teacher, the student, 
the sinner, the believer, the disciple, the disbeliever, or the denier, or the betrayer. The judge becomes the judged. That last one is quite personal for me. It's how I experience this gospel. Because every time I find myself judging those in the story who don't get it, lo and behold, I find out that I am one of them. Which may be precisely the point. This is a difficult teaching. And therefore, it offers Jesus' disciples a choice. They can give up and go away, as many of them do, or they can stay, as Peter does. And let us not imagine that Peter stays because he suddenly got it all figured out. Peter stays because he knows Jesus, or at least is coming to know Jesus. He stays because he knows where he will find, where to look for what is true and essential and life-giving. My friends, this is a difficult teaching for us as much as it was for Jesus' disciples then. It may offend you, it may challenge you, it may befuddle you too. The question is, do you also wish to go away? We have many ways to run away, of course, don't we? We can be dishonest about what we see there or how we react to it, stuffing down our discomfort or offense. We can claim mastery over it, reducing its complexity to a once-and-for-all, never-to-be-revisited answer, as I have tried to do and failed. We can reason away its authority and relevance for us, saying, oh, Jesus didn't really say that, or if he did, he didn't mean it, or that was then, this is now. And of course, we can just give up and walk away, taking our own disbelief, our own confusion as the final answer. But we have another option. We too can stay. We can stay and keep wrestling, keep wondering, keep looking. We can stay and humbly confess, I don't know. I don't know, but I'm here. Here I am with all my hunger, all my thirst, all my longing, all my confusion and fear and resistance, all my disbelief. I'm here because I have come to hope, to trust in you. Those words, I don't know, are hard to say, aren't they? They don't really roll off my tongue very easily, that's for sure. My husband will tell you that. 
And yet, they are an opening. The words, I don't know, are an opening, a beginning of learning and humility. A first step toward trust in an encounter with the living God. Indeed, as we see through the Gospel of John over and over, it's often what people think they know already with such certainty. It's often what they think they know already that prevents them from seeing or receiving or hearing Jesus now and receiving, approaching the bigger truth he embodies and teaches. This certainly has been my experience. When I've reached the edge of my understanding and kept searching anyway, when I've stayed anyway, even after throwing up my hands in frustration over passages like this, I've found Jesus himself. It's true. I found Jesus himself drawing me, not toward a logical proof or a bulletproof answer, but toward Jesus himself, toward life, toward a living faith. This isn't just for biblical scholars. This isn't just about how we approach scripture, of course. It's about how we approach faith and discipleship. Do we stay when it gets hard? Do we hang in there with God or with one another when we don't understand or don't agree? When we come up against the limits of our own understanding or control, will we close down or will we open up? Will we see, will we receive the invitation that God offers us through those very same difficult teachings, difficult moments in our life of faith. It's an invitation to be nourished by Jesus, to participate and abide in Jesus, who is the living bread and who offers us eternal life and abundant life. Peace are difficult teachings. Thanks be to God for difficult teachings. Amen.